It's good to see everyone this morning. We appreciate you all being in attendance. It's been an encouraging time thus far. I hope that doesn't change. Um, it's good to be together on the Lord's Day uh, today, to be gathered together with those of like precious faith and to and join in together in lifting up our voices in song and our voices in prayer to our God, our Creator. What a privilege that is. I want to talk this morning about a lesson that, that, go along, that goes along in our series. We, um, at the beginning of the year, established a, a theme for the year, and that is this confidently approaching the throne of grace. As we read there from Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, and the whole idea is to bring lessons this year that, that help us to, to be more confident in our faith, to be more confident in approaching that throne of grace, and that is approaching our God. How is it that we can um, be more confident as we come before the Lord? And so the lessons uh, over, the, over the year, we've had a few lessons that talk about this. Um, and so far, some of the things that we have considered in some of these lessons is uh, understanding first that it begins with faith indeed. Our faith is so very important in, in how it is that we approach God. Um, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, it says, Without faith is it impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is the rewarder of those who seek him. So faith is so very, very important. It's vital in our service to God. How vital is it? The Hebrew writer tells us that without faith, it's impossible to be pleasing to God. And we have to know that he is um, who he says he is. And then he rewards those who seek after him, those who indeed have that faith. So as we start to think about coming to God more confidently, Let's remember where this begins and having a faith of who he is, who it is that we are approaching. We need to be confident in our asking. We petition our God often in prayers and in other ways. We petition our God to, to look down upon us in a favorable way. And we need to be confident in that asking. In James chapter 1 and verse 6, it says, But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. We live close to the sea, don't we? You can go out there and, and see that surf that's being tossed uh, hither and yon, as you might say. We don't need to be like that. We need to be confident in what we're, what we're asking. And not uh, any doubting because of what we've just talked about, that it begins with faith. Understanding who, we, who he is and what he does for those who have faith and confidence in him. We need to learn from the mistakes of others. One, one thing that we, I, I mention often in our Bible classes is, you know, we can look at people like Abraham and David. Those great men of faith that the Bible goes on to talk about more about later on, how these are great men of faith. But we see them, and we see them stumble, don't we? We see them and they're where they fall short. But we need to learn from that. Rather than just let that be uh, ink on the page, God's put it there for a reason, so that we can look at their example and not follow after that. 
and be even more confident in our faith. We need to learn from the mistakes of others. That's why the Bible is put together the way it is. It shows us men throughout time and women and their relationship with God so that we can learn from that. And so now this builds into our confidence. I haven't made the mistakes of Abraham. I haven't made the mistakes of David. I've learned from them. And we can be confident in that. We can be confident in understanding that Jesus has shown us the way, as is so often uh, we see in Scripture, that it's not just a command, it's not just um, do as I say, but Jesus says, do as I do. He is that ultimate example. He is that ultimate servant that came to this world to serve others and to give his life a ransom for many. In John chapter 14, there beginning in verse 1, he talks about, let not your heart be troubled. He says, I, I have gone to heaven to prepare a place for you. In verse 3, he says, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus has blazed the path. He has been risen from the dead and ascended into heaven, and he's prepared a place for us. And so we have the confidence in knowing that he's already set forth the plan and he's already blazed the trail ahead of us. And he's there in heaven waiting for us when this mortal life is over. And along those lines, we have to understand that we cannot be conformed to this world. We are but passing through this world. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, it says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. What is the will of God? The will of God is for all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's what he wants for all mankind. So we have to be transformed by the word of God and not conformed to this world. So now that we've talked about things that we've considered in the past, this morning I want, to us, uh, I want for us to consider how we might be content. With these we shall be content. How is it that we can be content in this world? Now, we've laid out that we can't be conformed to this world, that we're passing through it, we have to have faith, but how is it that we can be, con that we can be content with the things that we have while we're passing through, while we are waiting on that day when we might be with our Lord together in heaven, how do we be content in this world? Let's start by understanding a few things of where we can find contentment. Where is it that we can find uh, the things that will help us get through this life? And of course, we can find it in Scripture. But let's look at a few of those. First of all, let's understand, and this is uh, somewhat uh, antithetical. This might go against what we really might think, but we find contentment in weakness. Look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 with me. How we can find contentment in weakness. And this is one of those things where, where we trust in God's word. We trust that his ways are higher than our ways, right? We look at weakness as just that, right? Weakness. 
This is going to drag us down. But really, the opposite is true. And Paul lays this out so beautifully, because Paul had his problem, didn't he? He had, he had his weakness to deal with in this world. In 2 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 7, it says, And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, myself there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Isn't that interesting? Uh, think about who we're talking about here. You know, this is Paul. Even Paul was subject to, uh, you know, the, the, the ways of the devil. And even Paul was in, in jeopardy of exalting himself, just like we are. But he said that the Lord gave him a thorn in the flesh to keep him from doing that. Verse 8, concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Verse 9, and he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness, that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That goes against the grain, doesn't it? That goes against our thinking. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. But what about all that time in the gym I spend? All this time on the bicycle I spend riding, trying to make myself a little, a little thinner and a little healthier. Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. What does this mean? It means we need to put our trust in God. Not in the things of the world. We need to trust that even in our infirmities, that we can still be pleasing to God. And in fact, that's the way he wants us to be. Because we give the glory and the honor to him. And understand that these are just indeed mortal bodies that we'll put off one day. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. When we give everything over to God, we needn't worry about the things in this life. We needn't worry about infirmities. I know it's hard, especially when we have loved ones that are suffering. But understand that God's grace is perfected in that. Put our trust in Him, and He will see us through. He will provide for us what's good and right. It's not always easy to see, but we put our faith in that. We can find contentment in weakness. We can also find contentment in food and covering. Look over in 1 Timothy 6. The context here we know, of course, is Paul has given instruction to the young evangelist Timothy, telling him some things he needs to do in his ministry and, and some attitudes that he needs to have. But the lessons come down to us as well. And understanding some things here in a, general, in a general way. In 1 Timothy 6, beginning in verse 7, it says, For we have brought nothing into this world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. And if we had food and covering, with these we shall be content. 
Those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a snare and many a foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. With food and covering, these, this we shall be content. What is it that we need to be content with in this world? Well, Paul's telling young Timothy here, and we'll get into a little bit more detail about this coming up, but he says, you got food in your stomach, you got clothing on your back, you ought to be content. And he talks about being godliness, and I don't, like I said, I don't want to give away too much, we'll talk about that in a minute. But as far as from an earthly standpoint, what is it that we can be content with? We have food in our belly and clothes on our back. That's good, right? We can be content with that. Now, do we have other things? Absolutely. Think about how wealthy we are, especially in this country compared to other places in the world. We're very wealthy. We have automobiles. We have houses. We have running water. We have electricity. A lot of times we take all those things for granted. But the very simple, basic necessities of life, we, that's where we need to be content. That's where we start. And look at all the other things as a blessing from God. And that's what they are. It's okay to be rich in this life. As long as we understand that the good thing has come from God. And we give the glory and the honor to Him. And not take it upon ourselves. But at all times, with whatever measure we have, we need, be, we need to be content. We need to be, along these lines, we need to be content in our station in life. Look over in Hebrews chapter 13. Very similar to what we're talking about here, about food and covering, and covering, and, and whatever else it is, we, we just need to be content with whatever stage of life we're in. In Hebrews chapter 13, beginning of verse 5, it says, Let your character be free from the love of money. This is along the same lines of what we're just talking about, right? How we treat money and how we understand uh, the good and the bad of money. Let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? We need to be content with whatever it is that we have. Whatever station of life we find ourselves, that's what we need to be content. The Hebrew writer here is saying, be content with whatever you have. Why? Because God has said, I will never desert you. I will never forsake you. Though we might be down on our luck, we might have things in our life that are troubling us. But what's God said about all that? He said, I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going to desert you. My relationship with you is not going to change because of whatever your bank account says. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? There's no reason to fear things in this world. Because the love of God abides with us always. If we love him, if we abide in his love. We need to be content with whatever station in life we find ourselves. It's not always easy. And we certainly have troubling times in our, in our lives. But we need to be content. 
we can find contentment. And here's the, here's the big reveal. I think we probably understand where we're going. We can find contentment in anything. The passage we read there in Philippians 4, go back there. Let's, let's look at that with a little bit more uh, context in mind. What is Paul saying here in Philippians 4? Back up in verse 10. For I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now, you have, uh, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In, every, in, in, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ or through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. What's Paul saying here? Paul's saying, again, whatever station in life. And he's telling the readers here and telling us that he's been on both sides of it. He's been hungry. He's been filled. He's been poor. He's been wealthy. Well, what does he say through all that? Through all that, I'm content with whatever I have. Now, it's easy said, right? How easy done is it? It's not always easy. And we can get beset by the cares of this world, and, and, and we can struggle, understandably. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Keeping our eye focused on Jesus, keeping our eye focused on the Lord, will go a great distance in helping us through this. Being content with whatever we have. Paul says that he had need and the, these Philippian brethren weren't able to help him previously, but now they are. And thank you for it. I am so glad that you have shared in my affliction. But understand that as long as I'm serving God, I'm, 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 he'll take care of me. So we can find contentment in anything. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Let's learn from Paul. Let's learn from his situation. Live abundantly or live poorly. Either way, being content in what it is that we have. And understand this, that there's great benefit in being content. Go back to 1 Timothy 6 with me. As I mentioned, this was Paul's instructions to the young Timothy, the young evangelist. In chapter 6 here, back up in verse 1, he's uh, talking about and he's going to lay out the, this idea of those who who preach and teach for the money that they're getting. Now, that's okay. It's okay. Believe me, it's okay to pay the preacher. We labor for the gospel, and it's okay to pay the preacher. That's, that's quite all right. But he's going to make the contrast in the idea, and when he gets down there it's about talking about the love of money, when they're doing it for sordid gain, then that's where you, you run afoul of God. 
You've got to be doing it for the right reasons. So one of the things about being content, one of the benefits is that we will indeed have all that we ever need. Look with me, 1 Timothy 6, verse 3, beginning. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant frictions between men of deprived mind and of deprived truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Now, in all that he's talking about, there's another lesson inside the lesson here about those who are contentious and those who want to just stir up trouble. And we know what God thinks about those. He has no patience for that. But look what it says in verse 6. But godliness actually is means of great gain when accompanied by what? By contentment. Godliness is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. If we're living a godly life and trying not to be contentious and, and wrangling about words, if we're, if we're trying to serve God, and especially, again, talking to the, the young minister here, Timothy, if you're, if you're in your ministry and doing what you are supposed to be doing, living a godly life, that's great gain to you. Not only financially, but in your spiritual life. But what has to go along with it? Contentment. We have to be content. And this is the message to preachers. The preachers have to be content with whatever they're doing, whatever station they find themselves in. You know, we're humans just like everybody else. We're subject to, uh, to want. We're subject to wanting to uh, move up and to, to move on and to better ourselves. And that's fine. But we need to be content with whatever position we are in life. Whatever position we are in our ministry. If we're teaching and preaching and being effective in the gospel, we need to be content. That's the message to us. The message to all of us is the same thing. In our lives, we need to be content. Godliness actually is means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. We can have all that we need in this world if we live godly and we are content. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, it says, What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will man give in exchange for his soul? This speaks to that, what we're talking about, doesn't it? I can be the wealthiest man in the world, but if my soul is at stake, all that wealth profits me nothing. It's no good to me. If you've ever been um, close to someone who has passed from this life, you know this very well. What Paul says, you bring nothing into this world, you take nothing out of it. When you pass from this world, it's just you. You don't get to take anything with you. So you might as well be content while you're here with whatever it is that you have. That speaks to the, the idea of laying up our treasures in heaven. 
Look over in Matthew 6. Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, speaks about this. About where we put our, you know, where it is that we put our faith. Where it is we put our energies and our time. Matthew 6 and verse 19 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys, where neither thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Again, it's fine to have wealth in this world. It's fine to have a bank account with money in it. But do we need to be laying up treasures in heaven? The spiritual life that we live, the spiritual wages, if you will, that we gain by doing God's will, that's what's important. The things of this world, even just the lowly little moth, can break down like rust and break those things down. In heaven, they're protected. The things, the treasures we lay up in heaven will be there for eternity. Where our treasures are, there your heart will be also. Not in this world, but in heaven. In John chapter 6, verse 63, says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. This is in chapter 6 here is where he talks about him being the bread of life. And he goes on to talk about how we must eat his body and drink his blood, and, and, and his disciples just did not get that. But what is he talking about here? Sounds like he's talking about cannibalism. But he wasn't. He was talking about spiritual things. And he's trying to get them to understand that he came down out of heaven. The spiritual manna. And it's the spirit that gives life. It's, he's trying to get them to turn away from understanding of the things of, of this world. The flesh profits you nothing. It's the spirit that profits you everything. And understanding this about being content in this life. And this is the ultimate goal and the ultimate prize is understanding that there's a rest that lies ahead. This should help us get through in our lives withstanding whatever might come about, whatever storms might blow our way. Understanding that there's a rest that lies ahead. We mentioned the passage in John 14, in my father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. And I go to there to prepare a place for you that when I come, I receive you to myself, that there you may be also. Jesus has set up the place where we are headed. And that is that rest that awaits us. In Hebrews 4 and verse 9, it says, There, main, there still remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There is a rest that, that is out there ahead of us that we're striving for. So the work that we do in this world leads us to that rest that's awaiting for us. That's a major benefit of being content. Whatever we have in this world, it's fine. But understand that there's a rest that's waiting for us when this life is over. I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Paul says that, that I've suffered need, I've been in abundance, 
I've been filled, I've been hungry. I've been, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself in. That's the attitude we need to have. And as we continue in our series about confidently approaching the, the throne of grace, it helps in our, in our thinking, doesn't it, to be content with, in this world. And when we approach God, we're thankful for all that we have. Sure, we ask God for healing of family members and, and things that are troubling us. And that's fine. That's what this is all about. But understand that we have to be content with whatever God has blessed us with. So that we can indeed confidently stand before God and say, thank you. Thank you for all your blessings. Thank you for all that you have done for me. And continue to do for me. So brethren, I implore you to be content with the things that you have in this world. Because we are so richly blessed. We have so much. Let's be thankful for it. If you're not a child of God, I encourage you to become one. I encourage you to enter the fold, to become a member of the kingdom. If you are a child of God and you're not content in this life, I would encourage you to make the changes necessary. Change your attitude. Think about what we've talked about this morning. Put that in application in your own life. Seeing how richly God has blessed you and being content in that, in all that he has. If you need the prayers of the congregation, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.